Gospel of Luke. So if you want to join me today, we're going to be in the 15th chapter of Luke, reading from verses 11 through 32, where we're going to see Jesus respond to a question, respond to the question of why he chooses to eat with tax collectors and sinners, why he chooses to associate with people like us who are stuck in sin in a lot of ways, who are stuck in a lot of weakness and brokenness. And through this parable, we're going to see an amazing illustration of the Father's love for us. We're going to see an amazing illustration that God still chooses to show us mercy and care in the midst of our mess. So let's turn together now and let's read, starting in verse 11. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will rise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older brother was in the fields. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me even a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? And the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Let's bow together in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you so much that we can still come to your word.
Thank you so much that you are the hope that we can lean on even when the world seems to be in a dark and scary place. I pray, Lord Father, that we would trust you in this time. I pray that today we can focus in on the truth of your mercy, on the truth of your love, on the fact that you want to embrace us and to be with us, and that we would truly find hope in that today. Let us just lean in and listen. Let your Holy Spirit speak to us and encourage us and just be present in this time together. Amen. See, status and worth are something in our society that people seem to obsess over. You know, people will spend thousands of dollars to maybe pay for a really expensive car or really expensive new suit, a really expensive new coat in order to kind of show off how successful they are. In a lot of ways, people want to make it a competition, right? They want to compare how well they're doing in their life based on what they can afford, based on what they're receiving. And the place that I see this competition the most, at least for me, or at least where I have noticed it the most, is when I'm boarding a plane. People will spend so much money to be in that prized first-class cabin, right? Because here the beds, because they're beds, they're not seats, are full of so much space for people to lay down in practically. And they have so much room just to spread their legs out. They're basically seen as royalty in the eyes of the flight attendants who are going to give them whatever they need with a snap of their finger, just like that. Now, the people behind them in the business class aren't that bad off. You know, they still have some luxuries. They definitely don't have as much space as the people in first class. The issue comes when you are in the coach section, as we probably all know. Back here in the back section of the plane, you're stuffed into about a three to five person row. You have almost two inches between your feet and the seat next to you. And that's only if you're lucky, really. And you can forget about getting any instant service from the flight attendants. You see, they're probably busy still getting that guy in first class his third mimosa before he's getting you any water, if we're being honest. And if you have to go to the bathroom, it's done. Everyone in your row is going to hate you for the rest of the flight. At least they've always hated me when I've gone to the bathroom. But anyway, um, <laughs> the fact that these sections are separated, separated, sorry, I'm from East Tennessee. Sometimes I'll do that. But the fact that these sections are separated from each other based on how much money people want to spend, we kind of have this preconceived notion that those in first class have their life together, Right? They have all this money that they can afford to receive that great seat. They have earned their right to be at the front of the plane, at least in the eyes of the airline. While the people in the back of the coach section maybe don't deserve luxuries. In the eyes of the company that owns the plane, they're basically treated as luggage. They don't really have space. They don't really have a wonderful flight to endure. They're kind of just crammed in, in the back, where no one will really see them. And I think for a lot of us as believers, this is kind of how we can unfortunately see our position in God's kingdom. I think a lot of us today maybe feel like we don't always deserve God's love, that we don't always feel like we should keep receiving his mercy, keep receiving his grace. A lot of us feel like we need to work for the riches of his relationship, that we need to work to receive whatever blessings he's may have given us already in our life. And when we do that, when we focus so much on earning our spot with God, then that can be a very exhausting place. That can be a place where you don't really find a lot of peace 
in life. You almost can find your fulfillment in the work rather than your fulfillment in the God you're doing that work for. On the other hand, some of us want the treasures and joys that God offers, but we're choosing not to find that in him. We're not choosing to find that in the work. We're choosing to find it in other things in our world, things that people have told us will make us happy. You know, we're first in line to find our fulfillment and our joy and our popularity, to find it in our social status, to find it in our sexuality, to find it in our places of authority. Instead of going to God, just embracing him, we go to these lesser things and we believe that they're gonna make us feel better, that maybe in some way they will make us feel full. They will fill this emptiness that we keep having in our hearts. And like I said, both of these mindsets, if you believe them, are gonna leave you exhausted. They're gonna leave you empty. They're gonna leave you never fully satisfied. And you're probably asking yourself if you're like me, is there ever gonna be a point in my life where I can really feel full? Is there ever gonna be a point in my life where I feel like God is really gonna be enough for me? Or if you were really focused on your own work, you've probably asked yourself, is there ever a time that I'm gonna feel like I'm enough for God? Luckily for us though, in the 15th chapter of Luke, Jesus addresses these concerns. Jesus acknowledges these temptations we have to try to find our fulfillment outside of him. And he wants us to draw us into his home. He wants us to hear in this parable and in multiple other places in the Bible that he loves us, that we have already been given all we can need in the Father, that through what Jesus has done for us, we can be completely intimate with our creator, that we have everything we need in his presence. Not one of us here today, if our hope is in Jesus, has to settle for anything less than his full provision. None of us have to look anywhere else to feel fulfilled. None of us have to chase after anything else to feel loved. So let's now go together. Let's observe this parable. Let's go see just how Jesus illustrates this. Let's start with the younger brother who we see run away from home who we see turn his back on this father who cared about him. By asking for his inheritance early, the son was basically telling his father, you're dead to me. My relationship to you doesn't matter. Give me the only thing that I care about, which is the money that I'll have when you're gone. And so by doing this, the son was pretty much committing the ultimate act of betrayal to his father. And we'd assume that this father would probably push away the son when he returned home but the exact opposite happens. The father sees his son while he's still a long way off. It says that he felt compassion towards him, that he felt love towards him, that he ran to him, embraced him, and kissed him. You see, the father showed no hesitation in wanting to be with his son. He went to go be with his son in the situation he was struggling with. Just like God wants each of us to know today, that he's running to us. You see, God is inviting home the struggling sinner. God is inviting home those of us who turn our backs on him. There's no bitterness, there's no hatred towards us. He desperately wants us home. He wants us to be with him again in his house where we can be fulfilled. And I think 
one of the most beautiful parts of this whole illustration is that the father chooses to run to his son. You see, this man was a wealthy landlord. He had power. He had authority. No one would ever expect him to run to someone else. In fact, people needed to come to him. People needed to fall before him and ask that he would spare them or help them in their moment of need. So him choosing to run to his son would have been shocking for anyone watching. It would have been especially shocking for the servants who needed to have a healthy fear of this man in order to serve him well. It would have also been shocking for any neighbors who would have thought, man, this guy doesn't really seem like a powerful dad. Shouldn't he be lecturing this son? Shouldn't he be turning this son away? Why is he giving in so easily? But I think that's true the beauty of it. See, the father wasn't giving in here. The father was choosing to love his son despite his cultural expectations. The father was choosing to show an amazing display of love towards a son who didn't really deserve it in the eyes of the law. I think the physical act that he embraced his son is truly beautiful too. You see, we can assume this son was probably still covered in the mud and filth of his past job. In the passage, it says he's been working with pigs. And if you know your Jewish history, you know that pigs were considered ceremonially unclean animals, which basically means the Jewish people by law would stay away from that animal. They wouldn't eat it. They wouldn't touch it. They would just stay away. So if you were a Jewish father or mother, and you had heard that your son had been choosing to live with these gross animals, you would have been ashamed of his lifestyle. You would have seen his life as a complete mess. You would have demanded that he would clean himself before you even stood in the same place so that he wouldn't dishonor you in this way. But the father doesn't wait for his son to be physically clean. The father doesn't wait for his son to be ritually clean. The father chooses to stand with him in his mess, to support him in what he was going through. You see, why we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God moved towards us first, just like the father moves towards his son first. He didn't make him walk up to the home in shame. No, he chose to hug him and to let him know he's wanted. I think a lie that we can tell ourselves is that we have to be in a perfect spot to receive God's love, that our hearts have to be free of any guilt before we can be in his presence, that we have to get rid of any secret life of lust we've been holding on to, that we have to be perfect when it comes to our greed, that we have to push aside whatever issues we're struggling with with comparison, that I have to be a perfect father or a perfect mother to look to God as my perfect father, that I have to be a loyal, perfect friend in order for God to see me as his friend on earth. But the reality is, guys, God wants all of us. God has paid the price to bring every bit of us into his home. He wants us to be real with him in what we're struggling with. He wants us to lift our mistakes and our sins up to him in repentance. Not so that we'll live in shame. No, so that he can give us the strength to move forward that through our intimate relationship with him, he can give us the power and the provision we need to turn away from these struggles, or at least to hold on to a hope outside of ourselves so that he can push us into new encouragement, into new life. For you see, when the son returns, 
the father immediately provides this great meal for him. He provides him the fattened calf that takes away the hunger that he had in the foreign place. He was completely satisfied by this meal. Not only that, the whole village that ate with them was satisfied. You see, the son was fully filled by simply sitting at his father's table and eating. It was a fillness that he could rest in. It was a fullness that he could feel at peace in. You see, nothing else in life is gonna let you have a rest that you can have in God. Nothing else in life is gonna let you feel fully at peace when you've achieved it. I don't care if you are the A student at your school. I don't care if you're pursuing a 4.0 at your college. No matter how many times you ace your tests, there's always gonna be another assignment that's gonna keep you from resting in what you've achieved. It doesn't matter if you're the star athlete of your family. It doesn't matter if you're the best athlete at your local gym. There's always gonna be someone stronger or faster than you that's gonna push you to keep working, pushing you to be a better athlete. Or at your job, you could be the best employee. You could be the best in your field at what you do, but if you are not leaning on God, instead leaning on your job, when someone else takes your place or does a better job than you, that whole identity is gonna shatter and you're gonna feel nothing. But when you come to the Father's house, when you come to his table and you're willing to let him feed you in a way that nothing else can, you'll be able to rest in that fullness. You'll be able to rest in an identity that is outside of yourself, in God alone, in his love alone for you. And that's a beautiful thing. I hope that each one of us, no matter where we are right now, will trust that God's provision is enough. Unfortunately, though, the beauty that we see in the father's reunion with his first son kind of sheds light on the ugliness within the older son's heart. For we're told in verse 28 that when the younger son returns home and they have a festival that the older brother refuses to come in. The older brother actually chooses to stay outside and still in the fields. We're told that he's filled with anger, but he's filled with bitterness at the thought of his brother being forgiven so easily. He wants his brother to have to earn his spot back. You see, the older brother had been working years for his father. So if his brother was being forgiven so easily, in his mind it felt like his father was betraying him. That in a way it felt like his father wasn't loving him the same way that he was loving the younger son. To forgive him so easily means that the father didn't seem to really be respecting what the older brother had done for him, at least in the brother's mind. But the truth here is, God is trying to show us through this older brother that those of us who are struggling with moral righteousness, those of us who struggle with this idea that we have to earn our spot in the house, don't have to live this perfect way we can actually receive mercy through God's forgiveness. When we mess up or make mistakes, God can forgive us. In this passage, God is calling home the struggling moralist just as he's calling home any other sinner. We can actually embrace his grace and not have to work for our own righteousness. Yes, God calls us to righteousness in all things, but when we fail to reach it, we don't have to be devastated because God has already paid the price for us to be home. 
You see a man who really let this pressure of always being enough consume his life was the war hero, Oscar Schindler. If you've ever seen the wonderful film, Schindler's List, you've seen the life of Oscar Schindler. This was a man who for many years, many years owned a very profitable missile company. And he would manufacture these missiles in these huge warehouse factories. But when Nazis began to occupy Poland back in World War II, Oscar Schindler was forced to make a choice. Would he continue to try to profit off the war? Or would he start to try to protect the Jewish people in his place? Would he try to protect those who were taken advantage of, those who were being destroyed? And he chose to act. He chose to bring in Jewish families who desperately needed protection. He chose to bring in those in his community who needed to be saved from the evil tyranny of those above them. And so his factory became a sanctuary for Jewish families. He protected them. He used every penny he had gained in his dishonest career to save thousands of lives. But unfortunately, Oscar Schindler never felt like his work was enough. Even though we see that he came home to his faith in Christ again through this whole process, he felt like he had to earn the redemption, that he had to earn the forgiveness that Jesus had shown him. They had to pay back for his multiple mistakes he'd made in his previous life before changing. And we see this most evidently in one of the final scenes of Schindler's List. We see that when Oscar Schindler is told that the war has finally come to a close, instead of rejoicing what the Lord had done through him, he fell on the ground in tears. He wept bitterly because he still owned his prized golden watch. He still owned his favorite automobile back home. Two things that he reasoned he could have sold to save maybe 10 more lives. And he was grieved because he realized that he hadn't earned enough, that he didn't do all he could have. And he believed that he hadn't earned God's forgiveness because of that. And that haunted him for the rest of his life. You see, guys, when we allow this pressure to overwhelm us, when we believe that we have to uphold the debt of our mistakes, we are devaluing the power of the cross. We are devaluing what Jesus has chosen to, done, to do for us. Instead of resting in his peace of redemption, we're choosing to live for ourselves. We're working for our own honor. And we can be burnt out by that. We can also push other Christians away. We can tell new believers that they have to be perfect, that they have to do everything right to receive mercy. And that won't bring anyone to God. That will only tell people that it's not worth it, that they should just keep living the way they are because this radical change is too much. It's too hard. It's almost impossible. So how can we rest in this grace? How can we choose to rest in God's redemptive grace rather than believing this lie that we have to be enough. Well, guys, it's simple. We have to return to God's word. So let's go back to this parable. Let's see how the father chooses to be with the older son in the midst of his bitterness and anger. We see that in verse 28, that the father actually chose to come out of the party and to greet his son. He chose to show him love and care. He greets him compassionately, saying, 
my son who has always been with me. He then goes on to plead with him to realize that he's welcome in this party too. That everything the younger son was receiving was there for the older brother to have as well. Every animal, every bit of wealth, every piece of clothing was free for the older brother to enjoy. He just needed to step in and receive. Every bit of the father was given to both sons. They both had access through grace, through access of a love of a father who didn't care about what they have done in the past, but loved them because they are with him now. But the older brother wanted to compare himself to his sibling. He wanted to compare himself in his own righteousness to his brothers. And because of that, he remained in the field. He chose to almost make his identity as a worker more important than his relationship with his brother or his father. Instead of being overjoyed at his younger brother receiving grace, he was angry, he was bitter, he was frustrated. He should have been overjoyed at this wonderful news. It should have changed him. You see, it doesn't matter how mature we are in our faith. It doesn't matter how long we've been walking with the Lord. At some point, we're gonna make a mistake. We're gonna give in to sin at some point in our day and we're gonna mess up. And the reality is we all fall short of the glory of God. If your identity is put in your obedience and how well you follow God's rules, there's gonna become a point where you mess up bad enough that that identity completely shatters, that the hope that you put in your willingness to follow his rules will vanish, and you'll be left feeling empty. You'll be left feeling frustrated. You may even be left embittered at God. You may look to God and say in your heart, why haven't you given me better care for those in need? Why haven't you given me a greater heart for charity when I see people struggling on the streets? When you lash out your kids as a parent, you may ask, God, why haven't you given me greater patience with my family? Why haven't you made me someone who is slower to anger? Or when you fail to be a good husband, when you fail to be a good wife, when you fail to be the right boyfriend or girlfriend for someone, you then turn and ask God, why haven't you given me greater guidance in this? Why have you left me alone in the fields to hunger? Why haven't you given me the gifts that this younger brother seems to get? But the reality is, guys, it's because we're choosing to put all the effort on ourselves. We're choosing to put all the hope in our ability to work when actually God has been desperately calling us to come to his table, to eat, to be filled, to spend intimate time with him in the word, to spend intimate time with him in prayer, to realize that when we make mistakes, there is an amazing, abundant grace there. There's an amazing, abundant redemption for us. We miss the fact that God can use our successes and our failures in life to further his kingdom. We can avoid this idea of comparing ourselves to others. We can avoid the idea of comparing what I feel like God has given me compared to what my neighbor has. We no longer have to look at their fancy car or their great suit and say, why don't I have that? We can then instead turn to God and say, you have given me enough in your love. I already have all the riches I can need in your grace. 
And we can not just say that, we can believe that. We also can have an abundant amount of grace for those around us because we truly believe we have been forgiven. I have been so close to pushing off close friends of mine before because I believe they didn't care about me. I believed falsely that they wanted to spend time with other people rather than myself. And in these moments, I lacked patience. I lacked understanding because I wasn't realizing every day that I was betraying God time and time again, that I was messing up, that I was choosing to go to things before I went to God for my fulfillment. But when we rest in a grace, when we rest in a faith based on grace alone and not on our works, we can let go of this idea of being perfect all the time. We can accept the reality of our weaknesses and we can give that weakness to God. He can move in us. We can have forgiveness for ourselves. We can have forgiveness for others. We can come to God's table and enjoy his food and feel as though we do deserve to be celebrated because God sees us as people he wants to celebrate. We can invite others to God's table with joy, not with bitterness, because they're receiving a grace that we don't deserve either. They're receiving an amazing love that we can all share together. Let's believe that God is a God, not of favoritism, but a God of amazing mercy, of amazing care, that wants all of his children home, no matter where they are. So in closing today, I want to invite all of y'all to truly believe that God is enough for you. That in your prayer life, realize that God is giving you the hope you need. You can simply submit to him and he will support you. I think it's good for us to realize maybe which brother we might identify with here. But I think the truth is at various points in our lives, we're going to identify with both. We're going to be more prone at certain points to chase after other things in the world. Or at other points in our life, we're going to be really focused on our own moral righteousness. But the beauty of this parable is the Father embraces both of them in grace. He loves both of them equally and dearly. So let's go to his table. Let's rejoice because we don't have to be perfect children. Jesus was already that perfect child for us. Jesus took the first step to be perfect. Jesus lived a life free from sin that we should be doing every day. Jesus experienced excruciating death on the cross, which we should have had to undergo. Jesus experienced separation from the Father, which is what we should have to end up with when we die, but instead we can come home to Christ. Jesus bore the weight of our ultimate sin, which should have crushed us if it was left to us alone. You see, we are never gonna be too bad not to receive this mercy. We're also never gonna be too good not to need it. So let's humbly approach the Lord today. Let's acknowledge our weakness, but also have hope that he is going to work in those weaknesses. Let's be willing to be his hands and feet today to bring that hope to other people especially when our world is trying to tell us to be afraid and fearful, especially when people say that life is hopeless right now. Let's bring them to this amazing hope. Let's let him use each one of us to empower people, to let them know that their hope is put in a God who wants the best for them 
and will bring that life to the fullest when they submit to him. Let's pray together and honor God in that. Dear Lord, thank you so much again for this morning. I thank you, Father, that your spirit is true. I thank you that you are always loving, that you are always caring, that, Father, in our mistakes, we can be real with you, we can be honest with you, that you, Lord, will meet us in that repentance and empower us, encourage us, forgive us of our sins, that through Jesus we are seen as perfect in the eyes of our Father, even when we feel like we are far from it. So let's rest in that truth today, Father. Let us be your light. Let us be your saltiness in the earth so people know there is a hope despite our circumstance. Amen. Thank you.